welcome. My name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. The Gospel Record of Matthew in chapter number 13. The Gospel Record of Matthew and chapter number 13. We're still progressing on the early stages of our series of the Millennial Kingdom, the thousand-year reign of Christ. And as we are progressing, we're now still talking about the beginning part of the Millennial Kingdom, actually the transition part between the seven years of tribulation, the seven years of Jacob's trouble, and the actual Millennial Kingdom where Jesus Christ is going to rule and reign forever. And as we've already kind of hit this morning, that immediately after the battle of Armageddon that Satan is going to be kept as a prisoner into the bottomless pit for a thousand years he's going to be put aside also during this transition is going to be an event that Jesus covers in two different parables the parable of the wheat and the tares and the parable of the sheep and the goats we're going to hit one of those parables tonight and then on Wednesday night we're going to go ahead and see what Jesus says dealing with the parable of the sheep and the goats but both of those parables deal with the same event the thing that happens right during the tribulation at the very end when Jesus Christ comes back to establish his kingdom and so with that if you don't mind take your copy of the word of God and turn with me to the gospel record of Matthew chapter number 13 the gospel record of Matthew chapter 13 and notice with me in verse number 24 gospel record of Matthew 13 in verse number 24 the word of God says this Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy fields? From whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest... And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, gather ye together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. If you don't mind, jump down to verse number 36, where Jesus gives the interpretation. Matthew 13 and verse 36. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house and and his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. And he said, answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that soweth them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world. And the reapers 
are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of the world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things which or that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire, and there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the gospel record of Matthew chapter 13? The gospel record of Matthew chapter 13. And notice with me in verse number 36 is the disciples themselves uh, named this parable. Notice with me in verse 36 at the end, the parable of the tares in the field. The parable of the tares in the field. Often called it is the parable of the wheat and the tares, whichever one you want to call it, but the parable of the tares in the field. The parable of the wheat and the tares. And if you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you today, we're just asking that you would give us much discernment as we open up the Bible, that we can see what you're saying in the context of your kingdom that is coming, and that we can also apply it not only to the future, but to us here and now. Again, we ask that your Holy Spirit would have full illumination, that you would we give you permission to speak to our hearts, to enlighten our heart, to show us what you want to get across. Show us what you want to be taught. Show us what we should do in response, in preparation, because of this parable. Again, I depend upon your Holy Spirit and ask that you fill me with your spirit. That you can get your own work accomplished tonight through your precious word. In Jesus' name, amen. In this parable, Jesus is taking time to address the crowd. And then later on, his disciples pull him aside and say, All right, tell us what it means now. Remember, parables are not meant to hide truth, but they're meant to reveal truth to those who want to know. And hopefully you have a desire to know tonight. So let's see what the Bible has to say. Now, what happens in this story is that Jesus tells a parable. And in this story, you have a man who's a farmer who's planting wheat. And he goes out into the field and he plants wheat, plants all this grain. He's worked hard. They've already turned the soil. They've already prepared it. They've planted the seed and now they're waiting for the harvest to come. However, why men slept, why no one was paying attention, what happened is that the enemy came and the enemy came and sowed something that was called a tear. Now at the very beginning of life, as the blades begin to come up, that the wheat And the tares look exactly the same. That you can't tell that there's a difference. It's not until they come to the time where the wheat begins to produce fruit. It begins to look like wheat. That you realize that the tares is actually a a menacing plant. It is a plant that disrupts. And as this plant comes up, that it actually displaces and it kills some of the wheat nearby. It it, uh, makes it so that way it's hard to tell which one. It gets in the way. It's a very troublesome thing for the farmer. And so what happens? is it comes up the servants come to the master and says what should we do should we go out and start pulling out the tares so that way the wheat has room to grow and the master wisely says no and the reason why is that these tares their root system begins to wrap around the wheat and so as you begin to start pulling out the tares 
that it will also pull out the good wheat as well. So what happens is that the, um, the master says, we'll take care of this at the end. The reapers will take care of it. They'll set aside those that are of the, of the wheat and they'll set aside those of the tares. They'll burn the tares and they'll take care of the wheat and they'll set it to my storehouse. Now, he begins to tell this story. Then afterwards, the disciples pull him aside privately and said, all right, give us some information. Tell us what this means. And Jesus says, I'll be glad to. So notice with me in verse number 37, as Jesus himself gives the interpretation of this parable, verse number 37, he answered and said unto them, he that soweth the good seed is the son of man. So we start off, the man who's sowing the good seed, this is Jesus. He's out there sowing the good seed. He's out there trying to get the seed out. Notice verse 38, the field is the world. Now that's pretty clear, isn't it? Jesus is out. He, his desire is to seek and to save that which was lost. His desire is to see those, his fruit that he's spreading out the word and he's expecting to see fruit come from it. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. That's us. That we are the good seed. We are the ones that come up. We're the crop that he is looking for. But the tares are the children of the wicked one. And so we see that the tares that mixed inside of this field, which is the world, are the good seed, which are Christians, truly born-again Christians. And next to them, in the midst of them, wrapped around with them, is the children of the world mixed into this. Verse number 38. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. So notice, this isn't something that happened by accident. This was a purposeful, intentional act. We'll get more into this in a second. The harvest is the end of the world. And the reapers are the angels. So this is an event that happens at the end of the world where the angels come and separate the wheat and the tares. Verse 40. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be at the end of the world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all the things that offend and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire, and there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. All right, so what we see here is an event that happens at the end of the world. We know that interpreting scripture with scripture, that right after the tribulation, all of the world is posed to fight against Jesus and against the Hebrew people. They gather in the Arm, uh, valley of Armageddon. They are prepared to destroy everything there. That is when Jesus comes back riding a right, white horse and we get a ride with him. And Jesus comes and speaks a word. And what happens is that all of those people who are not saved die. This is that same event. The angels come in this parable here and they separate. So those who are alive who are saved they are going to be separated aside those are going to enter into the millennial kingdom in their physical bodies not redeemed body but their physical body those who are not saved at the end of the tribulation they are going to die and be sent to hell and there's going to be a dividing at this time. There's going to be a separation at this time. And as we've already stated the principle that the tribulation begins with no saved people. However, the millennial kingdom starts with no lost people. 
And so this is an event that happens at the end, right at the beginning of the tribulation, where the wheat is separated from the tares. The saved is separated from those who are not saved. And so from this parable, even though it's an event that is going to occur later, there are still things that apply to us now. And so if you don't mind, I'd like to make an application and point out some things that we find in this parable that we need to know here and now concerning the wheat and the tares. The first thing I'd like to bring to your attention is that the war between the seeds. The war between the seeds. We understand that Satan hates God. And because he hates God, he hates the Son of God who is God. He hates Jesus. And he hates everything that God loves. Well, we know that God loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us. And that Jesus saved us. He has redeemed us. And Satan hates Jesus. And so we know that this war extends not just from Jesus and Satan. But this war extends between the two seeds. Between the seed of God of Jesus, those who have come to know Jesus as Savior, and the seed of Satan. You know, this was promised all the way at the beginning of time. If you don't mind, maybe you'd like to walk through the scripture with me really quick. Turn with me to the very beginning, the book of Genesis chapter number three. The book of Genesis chapter three, this is a war between the seeds, between Satan and Jesus and the followers of Satan and the followers of Jesus, between the world system and those who have come to know Christ as their savior. This is all the way at the very beginning. The book of Genesis chapter number three. The book of Genesis, chapter number 3, and notice this promise. This is an important verse. This is the first uh, promise of salvation offered to men in the entire Bible. It's called the Proto-Evangelium. That's a good fancy word that said this verse is important. And notice with me in the book of Genesis, chapter 3 and verse 15. And I, this is God speaking, I will put enmity... Between thee, he's speaking of Satan, between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, but thou shalt bruise his heel. And so we understand that even God pointed out to Satan, when man fell from the Garden of Eden, he pointed straight up and said, there's going to be a war between these two parties. There's going to be war to the end of time, and that this is something that's going to be an ongoing thing. Notice with me in the gospel record of John chapter 8. And we, Jesus gives us some more clarification dealing with who is who in this matter. Look with me in the gospel record of John chapter number 8. The gospel record of John chapter number 8. In gospel record of John chapter 8 verse number 44. Jesus is addressing the Pharisees. And notice what he says point blank, very blunt. And in John chapter 8 and verse number 44, it says, Ye are of your father the devil. Now, it does not get any more blunt than that. Ye are your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. So we understand that there are two families living on earth. 
There is the family of God, those that have come to trust Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Those that have got, come to God and believed upon the promises of God. And then those of the world. So anyone who is not saved, anyone who has never personally asked Jesus to be their Savior is of the wrong family. They're of Satan's family. Now, I don't recommend that you go up to the stranger and say, Hey, I want to let you know that your father's the devil. You're probably not going to get very far on that. But we're understanding this as a spiritual principle here, that there are two families in the world. There are those who are saved and that we have a heavenly father of God. And those who are not saved, their spiritual father is Satan. And so someone who is not saved, it's not fun to think about, but their spiritual father is Satan. And there is a war between the two. Those who are not saved, do not support, do not find friendly, are not supportive of those who are saved and God's agenda. God's agenda is for everyone to get saved. And we could look at this today. There is a big war going on. Against God and his people. Against God and what God wants to be accomplished. There is a war going on. And it is not a passive war. It is not a cold war. It is an active war. It is a hot war. And this war rages on. So we understand here this principle. That there is a war between the seeds. There's another principle that I would like to draw out just as an application for us for understanding. is not only that there's a war between the seeds, but the world will not be converted. Now that sounds pretty harsh. The world will not be converted. Now what that simply means is not everyone will be saved. We have to understand that. Not everyone will be saved. Now, we want everyone to be saved. And more than we want that, the Bible says that God is not willing that any shall perish, but all shall come to repentance. That's God's will and God's desire. However, everyone has their own personal will, their own personal choice, and they must personally choose to accept Christ for themselves. They must personally receive the gift that God has offered for them from the shed blood of Jesus Christ. But not everyone will get saved. Now we have to understand this. Because we have to understand what our job is. Our job is not to get everyone saved. Now listen to me. Pay attention. Alright. I'm not saying anything harsh. I'm not saying anything wrong. It is not our job to save people. Because we can't save anybody. It's God's job to save people. Our job is to evangelize the world. What does that mean? Let's define our terms. Our job is to make sure that everyone has a clear gospel witness of what Jesus Christ has done. And that it is their choice to get saved. And it is God's business to save them. Our job is to make sure everyone has the opportunity to get saved. Has the opportunity to hear that Jesus died for them. And that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now this is important. Because what we could do is that we could try to put the weight of the world on our shoulders. And say and we're witnessing to a person and they don't get saved. And we feel like it's our fault. 
Or maybe we keep going door knocking and passing out flyers and it doesn't seem to work. And why do we keep doing this when it's not going to work and people want to quit? We have to realize it is not our job to make people get saved. We can't twist anybody's arm. We can't. Now, the old saying is that you could lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. However, you could put salt in his oats. All right. We're to make them thirsty. We're supposed to pray for them. We're supposed to do everything we can, but we cannot save them. This takes a load off of us. And we realize what our job truly is, is to evangelize the world. We are to pass out as many flyers, tracts, Bibles, knock on as many doors as possible. That is our responsibility. We're supposed to make sure that everyone has the opportunity here. And so when we work and we work and it doesn't seem like anything's happening, it doesn't mean we're failing and it doesn't mean that it's not working. Our job is to be obedient to the Father and the results are up to Him. It is His job and His business to save people. And we have to understand that unfortunately there are going to be some people who do not get saved. Now that should break our heart and it breaks God's heart. And I'm not saying that gives us a pass where we wipe our hands off and say, well, if not everyone's going to get saved, why try? That's not what we're talking about either. We're saying our job is to tell everyone. That is our responsibility and that's what we're going to stand and give an account for. That we're to give everyone the gospel witness. But we have to understand not everyone's going to get saved. That's just a reality. It's not a fun reality. But we have to understand that we see that. That's why there's, there's the sheep and the goats. Now, <laughs> with that, we come to another principle that we have to hit. Is not only there's a war between the seeds. We have to understand that the world will not all be converted. Though we want as many people as possible to come to know Jesus as their Savior. But there's another principle we have to understand. And that is that Satan is a deceiver. Satan, the work of Satan is deception. The work of Satan is a deception. So notice this parable again. What happens in this story is that the good seed is spread and the good seed begins to come out. However, the enemy has come in and he has put a different plant in the ground that is going to be harmful. And what he does is at the very beginning... Both plants look the same. You know what that is? That's a deception. That's a deception. And so what Satan is trying to do in this war. That Satan knows he can't directly fight against God. So he works through deception. He works through trickery. And what he's trying to do. Is mix in between those who are genuine believers. Those who are not believers. Because he wants to fool people. He wants to deceive people. He wants people not to get saved. And so he's putting people in places where they look like Christians. They, a lot of people reverence them as Christians. And they have a voice to Christians. But they're not saved. And their job is to deceive people. You don't believe me? Let's see what the Bible has to say concerning this matter. Look with me in the gospel record of Matthew chapter number 7. The gospel record of Matthew and chapter number 7. In Matthew 7 and verse number 15, notice what Jesus says. He says in Matthew 17 verse 15, Beware of false prophets 
which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening, ravening wolves. That word ravening has the idea of destructive. They have the idea they want to eat, devour, do harm. And so Jesus is saying, beware, there are false prophets and they look like they're sheep's clothing. Now, why is this important to say? Because this is how God loves to refer to his people. The relationship between God and the people is the shepherd and the sheep. And he says, there are some people, they put on sheep's clothing. They look like one of you. They say the same words. They have the same lingo. They go to where you go. But beware... They are ravening wolves. Now, the wolf isn't there just to hang out with the sheep because the sheep are cooler. He's there because he wants to destroy. He wants to devour. The word devour in the Bible carries the idea to make disappear. And so what these wolves do is they want them to make them disappear from service of God, from following after God, from doing these things. And there are many false prophets out there and their job is to deceive people from following what God has said trying to deceive people so they do not get saved and yet they look good they smile well they take good pictures they're very nice and they have fooled many many people it's to the degree that I as a pastor if I point out one of these people I can get hate mail later on and said but he's my favorite preacher but he doesn't teach the Bible. But he's so nice. But he doesn't preach the Bible. And that it's hard to point them out. But we have to understand this is how Satan works. Is he's a deceiver. He puts in people in the midst of the good seed. Seed that initially looks just like Christians. But the fruit of it is not the word of God. It is not. What God has produced. Notice with me in the gospel record of Matthew chapter 24. As once again. Jesus is talking about end time things. Inside of Matthew 24. And notice what happens in Matthew 24. And notice with me in verse number 4. Matthew 24 and in verse number 4. The word of God says this. And Jesus answered and said unto them. Take heed that no man deceive you. The word take heed means to pay attention. You know why he's telling the people that he's telling the disciples to pay attention? Because there are people that will deceive them if they are not careful. For many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. And you understand there are many people who are deceived by a false Jesus. The, the Jesus of the Mormons is not the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of the Jehovah's Witness is not the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of the Roman Catholic Church is not the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of the Southern Gospel songs is not the Jesus of the Bible. And that we have to be careful because they'll give us a false view of Jesus. And people will like that Jesus because that Jesus is nicer. That Jesus is better. That Jesus tells me what I like to hear. And they'd rather follow a false Jesus then follow the Jesus of the Bible. And Jesus says, be careful that he's talking to his disciples. He's not talking just to new believers. He's talking to his disciples. Take heed, be careful, because Satan is trying to deceive you. Notice with me in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter number 11. 
2 Corinthians chapter number 11. There are many, many, many warnings, especially in the New Testament, dealing with the principle that we're hitting here, that the work of Satan is deception, and that Satan wants to deceive the very elect. He wants to deceive God's people, God's people who have accepted Christ as Savior. That Satan's trying to fool even them. Notice with me 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Notice with me in verse number 13. 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers, now there's that seed again, be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. We understand here, there's a principle here, that the work of Satan (coughs) is deception. And that we have to be careful with this. We have to understand. We have to line things up with the Bible. That's why you need to know what the Bible says for yourself. And not just depend on what someone says. You need to know what it says. So that way you're not fooled. It has to line up with the Bible. That The reason why the Roman Catholic Church controlled the world for a thousand years. Is because they convinced them not to read their Bible. And they said we'll tell you what the Bible says. This is a deception. They want to deceive people. They want to fool people. And you have to be careful. The Bible says we have to line it up with the Bible. Notice with me in the book of Second Peter chapter number 2. There's many, many, many warnings. I'm just highlighting just a couple of them. Showing you it's just not in one place. But over and over and over is this warning. The book of Second Peter chapter number 2. The Second Peter chapter number 2. And notice with me in verse number 1. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Notice, this is some hard speeching. He says there shall be false preacher, teachers, notice this, among you part of the pastor's job is to protect the sheep you probably remember those old bugs bunny cartoons where they had wiley coyote trying to get the sheep and they had sam the sheep dog who had that hair needed a haircut and he would have to lift up his hair to look around and his job the sheep dogs was to sniff out wolves that may show up well part of what a pastor's job is to guard and protect the sheep the books of Uh, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus all speak. This is the pastor's responsibility to guard and protect who is teaching and what is being taught. That is a responsibility, a huge responsibility, because it is easy for false teachers to come in. It is something that always has to be guarded, paid attention to, always set in order. The book of Titus speaks about that quite often, to set things into order. And we all have to be careful. We have to know what the Bible says. We have to understand who's the source. Where are you getting the information? How does it line up with the Bible? Because there's many people who want to try to come in and to deceive. They want a platform where they want to say, let me tell you something new. Let me tell you something that people haven't heard before. Let me tell you some secret knowledge. Let's talk about the deeper things. 
And they attract people in because that sounds great. And then they want to deceive you. It is something that we have to be careful of. Now, one last place for this idea here. The book of Jude. The book of Jude. The book of Jude is the book right before the book of Revelation. So the book of Jude. Jude only has one chapter. And notice with me in the book of Jude in verse number 3. Jude verse 3. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write of you of the common salvation, it was needful of me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained in this condemnation ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now in Jude, Jude is writing and he says, hey, it was needful. I was going to write to you of the common salvation. Some people think, well, I was going to write of you of the common salvation, but instead I have to now write of this. But that's not what it says at all. It says, because I was going to write of you of the common salvation, the salvation that we have of accepting Christ as our Savior, because of this common salvation I must also tell you to earnestly contend for the faith you know why because each generation must deliver that faith to the next generation and if we don't deliver that same faith then that faith will dissolve it will go away that we have to continue to pass it on so because of that verse number four we have to be warned that we have to contend for the faith why for there are certain men who crept in unawares. They're creepers. They're ready to go in there and just explode. And mess everything up. And cause destruction and chaos inside of the church. They want to mess up doctrine. They want to mess up salvation. They want to tell you that there's different ways of salvation. They want to tr- teach people something different. But we have to stick with the Bible. And stick with the old fashioned thing that Jesus saves. That we are all sinners. If people don't believe that they're sinners then they can't be saved we also have to not only are we all sinners that because of our sin we deserve punishment we deserve to go to hell if someone does not believe they deserve to go to hell they cannot be saved the bible says that jesus is our only way that jesus is the way the truth and the life no man go to the father but by him we must accept the free gift that jesus offered of himself on calvary that jesus died and was buried and on the third day he rose again and if you don't If Jesus didn't die for us, we cannot be saved. Jesus is the only way or we cannot be saved. And then we must personally accept Jesus as our Savior. You understand, those four basic truths are under attack all the time. And let me tell you, this isn't just something that's out in the world in the false religions. I have people I know and I considered friends who attack these four things today. This is something we always have to fight. There are people that fight on the idea that we are sinners. They want to deny the fact that we are wrong. We are sinners. There are people that want to deny the fact that there is no such thing as hell. And let me tell you, there is an awful place called hell. And we don't want to see a single person go to that awful place. But there are people who deny and fight. And they call themselves Christians. They call themselves preachers. They may even call themselves Baptists but yet they try to deny that there's a real place called hell. 
There are people that say, well, Jesus is a way, but he's not the only way. You see, either Jesus is the only way or he's a liar and he's no way at all. But there are many preachers who would like to say that there are many ways to get to heaven. And that is not true. And they are deceiving people. They are liars. There are some people that say, well, you don't have to personally accept Christ as your Savior. Maybe they'll say that God will choose you and you don't have to choose him. That God has already chosen you and you have no choice. There are some people that say, well, just as long as your mom is a preacher, as long as you go to church, as long as uh, you carry a Bible, as long as you're a good person, you're going to heaven. And they're deceiving people. And they're deceiving people. And because of this, we have to earnestly contend for the faith. It means we have to stand our ground and say, no, this is what the Bible says. This is what the Bible says. This is why sometimes the preacher has to get upset and jump up and down and say, it's wrong. It's wrong. You say, I just want to hear a nice message. I'm sorry. There are times that because I want to give you a nice message, I also have to point out that there are creepers. There are people that are trying to mess things up and we have to point it out and say it's wrong. Now, as we come to a final application, what do we do with this information? What do we do? Well, first of all, we understand the message that Jesus gave. Turn back with me to the book of Matthew chapter 13. There are people that were rightfully concerned saying, what do we do? Should we go out when we see these false people inside of us? What is our responsibility? Is it our job to do a salvation check? Is it our job to go ahead and say, that guy's not saved, drum him out? What does the Bible say? Notice with me in Matthew 13. And let's pick it up in the actual parable itself. In verse number... um, (coughs) Uh, 27 Matthew 13 27 so the servants of the householder came and said unto him sir didst not thou so good seed in thy field from whence then hath it tares and he said unto them an enemy hath done this the servant said unto him wilt thou that we go and and gather them up so they said we'll be glad to go out and start pulling out the tares we'll be glad to go out in the field and start pulling out all these false plants these deceptive plants And notice what they said here. But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Now, remember what I said before is that the tares have a type of root system that entangle themselves around the plants and the roots of the good plants. So when you go and pull up a tear, that you also pull up the good plants as well. You understand that when we go off and attack someone else, Well, you know, let's just name names. Joel Osteen is a false preacher. If you haven't realized that, well, I'm just giving you right news. All right, he's a false preacher. But I have to be careful. As a pastor, I need to point things out. But you know, there's some people that think Joel Osteen is the greatest preacher in the world. And if I am harmful about how I deal with this, I can hurt those good people as well. Maybe there's someone inside of the church that the pastor or maybe you suspect, well, I don't think they're saved. It's not your job to go pluck them up because there are other people who may not have understanding or may not see things and they can get hurt as well. That's why we have to let God take care of who's saved and who's not. Does that make sense? Now, we're supposed to give the gospel and they have to make their own choice. But as for someone who, now we're talking about someone 
who is not saved inside of a congregation. We're not talking about false preachers. False preachers, I, you know, is dealt with within the church. But let's say that there's someone who, who's, maybe they don't think they're saved. It's not our job to go pluck them up. God will take care of who's saved. Your neighbor, well, my neighbor claims to be a Christian, but I don't think they're saved. It's not your job to go pluck them up. We're supposed to present the gospel and let God take care of them. You understand there's a principle here. It is not our job to go out into the field and start ripping up all the plants that we think is not good. That is God's responsibility. He will take care of that in the end of time. Our job is to go out into the field and keep passing out the seed. Our job is to go out and to go tell the whole world that Jesus saves. That Jesus saves. You understand that even Jesus, he had 12 disciples and one of them was a liar. One of them was not saved. Now, did Jesus know that the whole time? Yes, he did. Did he treat that disciple any differently? No, he did not. So much that the other 11, they didn't even realize that the guy was not saved. Because Jesus never treated him different nor pointed him out differently. He let things take care of it as they were. Even when Judas walked out during the Last Supper and they went out, the disciples thought he was doing a job for Jesus and that he was going out and doing what he was supposed to do. They didn't realize he was going to go betray Jesus because Jesus never let on. You understand? We're learning a principle here that we understand there is deceivers out there and we shouldn't be deceived. We need to tie ourselves to the Bible. We have to understand there's a war going on. And from time to time, there may be someone in our congregation that may not be saved and we're going to pray and we're going to do what we can, but we're not going to go pluck them off. You understand? There's a principle. You're not supposed to go up and we're supposed to give them the gospel. There's many applications. We're just going to kind of leave it there. That's what we're supposed to do. Our job is to go tell everyone how to come know Jesus Christ as their personal savior. And we let God deal with everything else. But at the same time, we are also supposed to be discerning enough to realize Satan is a great deceiver. And he will try to send in deceivers. And how are we not to be fooled by deception? We need to be in the Bible ourselves. So if someone even in the church says, guess what? I want to tell you this great, wonderful thing that we had. You smile and nod and say, well, this is what the Bible says. And leave it there. You know, there's proper ways of handling it. But this is a principle. Now, as we go back to the millennial kingdom, this is an event that's going to happen right before the millennial kingdom starts. That God is going to come through and he's going to separate the wheat from the tares. He is going to be able to separate them. And those who are tares, those who are the wrong father, those who are not saved, they're going to be cast aside and put into hell. For all of those who are saved at the end of the tribulation period, they are going to enter into the millennial kingdom with their natural bodies, not their redeemed bodies. And we'll speak more about what happens to them in the future. As for us, keep telling people about the Lord. That is our job. Keep passing out tracts. Keep passing out flyers. Do not be discouraged. Keep looking up to Him. We trust that we're just doing his job and we're going to trust that he can do his job. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time 
to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920-530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you. Thank you.